Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And today we have the rock star of the rock stars. Like there are rock stars that learn from this rock star. So I want you to do all of your friends and your family and people who follow you on Facebook and social media. I want you to share this out to them so they can all benefit from hearing from Mary Kate O'Connell. Make sure you share this out and stay with us. We'll be right back. And we are back. Let me bring Mary Kate O'Connell on. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here on a Friday, my favorite day of the week. I am so excited to have you here. You and I have never met, although we've been friends on Facebook for 62 years. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm not even 62. Um, but I am... Like, I love your content. I love who you are. I love your content. I love what you do. And I literally, let's be honest, I had to beg you to be on the show. That's not true. You did ask me years ago, and I don't know what happened. It got lost in the sauce. But thanks for the nudge. I appreciated that the other day. I'm so grateful that you're here. So, um, you know, let's let's talk about... I mean, you know, you've, I've been around, you've seen, you know, the show here and there. Um, this is all about helping people have a breakthrough in life. And um, I've done it for almost five years now. So talk about like, start with where you were born and raised. Where did it all begin? And do you go by Mary or Mary Kate? Mary Kate. If you want to shorten Mary it, Kate. you can call me Kate. I have no problem with that but I don't answer to Mary oh, typically. <laughs> really? Uh, and you know, my automated email system sent you an email saying, Mary. <laughs> I was did. like, oh. <laughs> it's okay. It happens all the time. Um, me, I was born in the Boogie Down Bronx though, way oh. back when, and lived there for about eight years. And then we moved to Westchester County, which is about 25 miles north of Manhattan. So you were and born I, and raised in New York? Yeah. Wow. I'd like to say okay. that I got out of the Bronx without the accent. So You I have no accent. It. it slips out a little bit, but it was never, never bad. <laughs> Not that yeah, I don't, I don't have it. So, so you, uh, so, and what is it, eight? You, so you were about eight years old when you left the Bronx? Yep. And what is that, like third grade, maybe? It was third grade, actually, yes. Wow. Um, so did you, like, go, but I have friends and I don't want to move? <laughs> no, because we lived in a three-bedroom. There were five of us kids. Oh, wow. And, I, you know, we were all kind of over it. So I was excited about it. We uh, moved to a bigger house, a little more property you know, nice little area. So I, I was okay with leaving when I was a kid. And you said it was Westchester County. Yes. Cause I don't, I, as you can tell, I know nothing about New York. Um, I've been to Manhattan once in my life. I drove there. I drove there from Ohio. Wow. I'll never do that again, especially mm -hmm. since there's like a warrant out for my arrest or something for not paying a toll. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I don't go to Maryland. <laughs> they, <laughs> they, they sent me a bill with a, a, a $200 fine. I'm like, what's the fine for? And they're like, for, for not paying the toll. And I'm like, I tried to pay. And you said you would bill me. We did bill you. You didn't pay. I'm like, 
you know what? Stick the toll where the sun don't shine. I'm, I'm not, I'll never pay it. They're like, we'll suspend your license anyway. Um, so, so you went to Westchester County. I don't know anything about, is that like out in the country? Is that, is that, no, it, um, it's a suburb of Manhattan. Half hour. Oh, train ride. Is. Yep. Wow. Um, Close enough, so, far enough away. yeah. Somebody said bad mistake, Manhattan traffic. It was oh, crazy. Yeah. Um, so, so you, you so you were still going to like a city school is that is that how it worked no it was a catholic school very oh. small community kind of thing not not tiny community compared to other places but no it was yeah. a nice little catholic parish community yeah okay great place to grow is that up. where you graduated high school i did i graduated high school then i went to fordham university in the bronx and wow. after that, went to uh, St. Joseph's in New York also for a master's degree. So that's, I think, what? I forget how many. It's all Catholic school. The only time I didn't go to Catholic school was uh, kindergarten. Wow. Holy crap. So you, so you ended up, I mean, we just kind of fast forwarded. You had five siblings, or there were five of you kids, right? Well, seven altogether there were five when we moved out of the bronx but two more came along afterwards so wow. two boys i mean two girls and five boys so your parents did not own a television apparently that is correct <laughs> <laughs> so wow okay so you had there were seven kids total where did you fall in the the pecking the order spectrum. you were second oldest so wow it was uh older brother than me and then brother 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 and okay. my sister came along when i was 16 so i was the only girl for 16 years oh my god wow so you um learned how to fight <laughs> true well the nice thing is my dad never treated me like the little i mean he treated me like a princess but he also taught me everything he taught the boys so i could change a wow. tire change the oil fight with the best of them. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, so, so after going through, you know, the high school, college, where did you stay in New York? Did you, what'd you start doing? What, and what was your degree? What are your degrees in? Well, my undergrad is in psychology. I wanted to be a psychologist. So, you know, growing up Catholic, I knew that I would want to have a practice that had a spiritual element. So I went and got a master's degree in religious studies with a concentration in dogma. So wow, that was no joke. Did that while working full time. But um, goodness, wow. let me go back. My parents are both entrepreneurs. So since my first lemonade stand, I had the bug. And it, I've kind of been chasing that my whole life. I, I just love being an entrepreneur. So my dad had a printing company and I worked there through college, a couple of years after college. And then, you know, 21 year olds, I'm like, I'm going to go out on my own. Like I had a nice job. I knew I wasn't going to get fired because my dad was the boss. I had a good right. salary. And it's like, oh, I would rather go way out of my comfort zone and make it on my own. And I'm sure my father, bless his heart, was probably like, what are you doing? But yeah. my parents were two of the most encouraging people I've ever known in my whole entire life. So when I said, I'm going to, I'm going to go make it on my own. My dad gave his blessing. My mom said, go ahead. And I started freelancing in New York city at people magazine. And then a job opened up at sports illustrated and the perks were incredible. I mean, every, every game I was a diehard Yankee fan still am. At every game, the Knicks games, the Rangers games, the Giants. I mean, it was ridiculous, the perks you got. So I stayed at Sports Illustrated for seven years. I retouched the swimsuit models. Yes, they are all retouched. And uh, had, a great, had a great time there. But kind of looking around, you know, there were people there that had been there a million years, and they were never going to go anywhere. And yeah. 
little old me decided to go out on my own again. <laughs> and but 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 wait wait. So you you said you were in you so you were in graphic design. Is that what you were doing? Or yeah, I was a retoucher. Oh wow. How what's how's that related to psychology? <laughs> oh, it's because it pays the bills. Right. You know? I mean, right. that's what I, right. I put myself to graduate school with freelancing as a you know graphic artist. Wow. So that's was that was the graphic artist thing? Was that like a passion? I yeah. So when I worked for my dad at his printing company, he had me in sales, he had me as his assistant, and I kind of gravitated towards the guys that were doing the retouching and the color correction because I thought that was cool. So I asked him if, you know, I could jump into that department. And I was trained by some of the best in the business because my dad's clients were all ad agencies in New York. He did the cover wow. of New Yorker magazine, you know, I, I'm, the names are escaping me now, but all the big ad agencies were his clients. So I, he had a good team and I learned from the best. So, Wow. That's incredible. So, so you were at Sports Illustrated for how long again? Seven years. Seven years. And you saw, um, gosh, I can so relate to that too. Like being at a place where you're like, so how long have you been here? 60 years. Like, yes. what? So, so you saw that and, and you were like, yeah, no, I can't. And you're in your, sounds like by that time you're in your late twenties and, um, right. 20, 20, 20, yeah. Late twenties. Yeah. Let's do that. Yeah. Um, so where did you go from there? From there, I went out on my own as a freelance graphic artist and I'm going to age myself right here, but back in the day, if you were a freelancer in New York, you had to get a beeper. So I was that person because they call you. They say, we have a job. The first one that calls them back gets the job. And, you know, the money at Sports Illustrated was really good. So it's it's not yeah. like I left for the money. I left because they, there had to be something more out there. And, you know, moving around, I worked at, oh, my goodness, New York Post, um, all the big New York Times I did work for. Wow. All the big, you know, ad agencies and all that come to find out that there's more money in pharmaceutical advertising. So and what? I, pharmaceutical advertising. Oh, yeah. Because I've been yeah. doing work for advertising agencies, you know, mainstream pharmaceutical paid more. So your girl went over to pharmaceutical. Wow. Glad I'm out of that. But <laughs> that's that's what I started doing. Pharmaceutical. What's up? Like you were creating pharmaceutical ads? Yeah, all the stuff that they took doc to doctor's offices, all the ads, the packaging, the whole nine yards. Wow. Wow. So, okay. So you started your own pharmaceutical ad agency. Yes. So what happened was, I'll make this yeah. quick story. Yeah. One of the big pharma places was launching a new drug the timeline was ridiculously short and the work was tremendous and i got called i had built a reputation at this point in the pharmaceutical industry as being one of the best pre-press people all that stuff so i got called into an office one day and they said we can't do this launch without you and that's where i i kind of <clears throat> felt like i made it because i said i know you can't do it without me and the next thing out of this lady's mouth was name your price. And I was like, ah, so wow. I named my price at the time. All right. I'd been working at two agencies. I, I, I was crazy, but I had, I had big goals. So I'd do one from eight to three. I'd walk across town in Manhattan, work four to 12. And I did that for long enough to build that reputation quickly. So when she said, name your price, oh. I was able to quit both agencies because I had doubled, you know, my hourly rate at that point. So wow. we did the launch, we pulled it off and it was one of, I don't even want to say the name of the company, but it's one of the big ones, most successful launches period. Out of that, I was wow. offered a six figure job running three departments in another ad agency. Took the job. You're going to see a pattern here, Ken. I took the job. <laughs> I was there for about eight, nine months. 
And I'd met, yeah. you know, I'd worked with some one partner before and another when the three of us got together and we're like, you know what we did with that pharmaceutical company? We can do that ourselves. So we modeled it based on that launch and started our own agency. Wow. Jeez. So um I look, I always say I'm severely unemployable because I'm an entrepreneur, right? Like it's very, very difficult to work for somebody if you're an entrepreneur. It just is. It so, is. Um, so you let you were only there eight or nine months, and you left and started your own deal. How did that go for you guys? And it was three of you, right? You said there were three of us. Yep. How, how did that did go? go? <clears throat> the first year we called it spinning in our chairs because we had no clients. We not we weren't agency of record. That's something that you have to fight for. And we went out to lunch a lot. We struggled. <laughs> uh, I kept working because I was like, I'm not just taking this dive. I need a backup plan. So thankfully, I was able to, you know, work on the side. But uh, wow. after a year, we got agency a record at a really big agency that, you know, it's kind of started snowballing after that. And then we were on our way. And how long did you have that? I was with that company for six years. So two okay. of us decided we didn't like the way the third was working. There was some mm. shady stuff going on. Let's just say that mm. corporate apartments we didn't know about, you know, so then it's now we have to hire accountants. Now we have to hire attorneys. So two of us said, buy us out. And uh, that person bought us out. And that wasn't wow. a cheap, a cheap buyout either. I was going to say, know? this sounds like, I mean, if, if, if you can hide corporate apartments, <laughs> it sounds like it had to have turned into a multi-million dollar situation. It did. It did. And it was that's incredible. Amazing. Wow. And how so, many employees did you build up to with that? Well, what, what part of our model was, was to hire senior people. So there's a lot of minutia in a regular agency. There's traffic and there's copy and proofreading and all that stuff. And we kind of just got, and, and not as employees, we hired them as contractors. So yeah. we really didn't have full-time employees, but we had full-time contractors that were senior people to get the job done more quickly and efficiently. So um, when I left, we had probably 10 contractors. Wow. Isn't it amazing though, if you look back over all of that, um, I can look back and go, man, there were times when we had to borrow toilet paper from my mother-in-law, <laughs> like we were so freaking broke and, yep. and like overdrawn broke, <laughs> if you, if you know what that means. Um, but you know, so broke and you look back and you're like, how did we survive and not die? <laughs> like. It sounds like that's kind of where you were like here and there. Oh, for sure. I mean, I had, I had to pay one of my partner's mortgages at one point. I mean, she's my best friend too. So it doesn't, Yeah, yeah it's yeah. fine. Um, but yeah, we were, we were stone cold broke and I was able to help her out one, <laughs> one day because I had kept working in the background. Cause I, you know, yeah. Well, thank yeah. God too. Yeah. But yeah, no, they, you know, people yeah. see the, the success story and this is, this is across the board and they don't get the struggle. The struggle's real. But the thing is about that company was we were laser focused. We were not going to quit. We were doing everything, uh, you know, under the sun to make sure it was a success. And that was what kept us, kept us going, especially yeah. in the lean times. So, so you're, you're, third partner in the company bought you and your other partner out. Um, sounds like it was a pretty big buyout for you. So you walked away with a billion dollars. I'm kidding. Um, but you walked away doing well. It sounds like, um, where did, where did you go? Did you have to sign a non-compete and all of that? Or did, where did you go from there? Yeah. I mean, by the time we were done paying our attorneys to, to draw up the deal, um, it wasn't a windfall, but it, it definitely was a situation where I didn't have to jump back into something to keep paying the bills. But right. um, yeah, we, we signed a non-compete. But at that point, we both, my best friend and I who left, <clears throat> both were kind of over pharmaceuticals anyway. 
you know, because it's just a dirty business. That's I'll say it. <laughs> I, <clears throat> I have my opinion. <laughs> I, I hear you and I don't disagree with you. How about that? Right. So, that um, right there. okay. So what did you do? I went back to doing my thing, freelancing. <laughs> um, did you really? Wow. Yeah. And in, and at that point, I was able to do it from home because, you know, like I said, I'd built a reputation and I'd got the work done. So I was always really good and at being disciplined and working from from home too. So went back yeah. to that. And you're still in New York? No. At this? At, no. Well, at that time, I was yes. No, I know you're not now, <laughs> but at that time. <laughs> The audience doesn't know where you are yet, but we'll get there. True. But um, so at the time, though, you were still in New York and and you just start, started freelancing again. Where did it all go from there? Because I know you're not in New York anymore. Um, where did it all go? What happened? Well, I met this guy. I met oh, my God. husband. <laughs> Come on. Um, I know. I had a I had a summer house in Newport, Rhode Island, one of my favorite places. So we went there every summer. And wow. you know, my husband's from Boston originally, lives in Naples. And I, I'm thinking this guy's from Boston. He's cute. All right. I can date someone in Boston. I didn't know he lived in Florida. So anyway, we started dating, got engaged. Then I announced to my parents I was moving to Florida after I got married. And they were like, wow. um, I, I, I am the person that swore I would never leave New York, but really, yeah. Oh, I'm a big city girl. Wow. Yep. No, nothing's better than New York. I wouldn't say that now, but, um, <laughs> my, husband's a, <laughs> my husband's a golf pro 25 years. He's retired from being wow. a golf pro, but he said, that's why I have to be in Florida. If you want me to work all year, I have to be in Florida all year. And I was like, that sounds good to me. So wow. packed my bags, moved to Florida and uh, was introduced to an entirely different job market, obviously. Yeah. Gone were, the, gone were the days of just being able to pick up the phone and get a freelance job. Do they even have a subway in Naples? <laughs> they do. Do they? Yeah. We've got I all, we got Chick-fil-A, Subway, we got it all. He's like <laughs> one of my favorite places. <laughs> I didn't mean the restaurant, but oh, that kind of subway. I thought, no. Do you know that there are there are places in Florida that, uh, that are exclusive? I'm sorry, that just went right over my head. But there are places where they don't have; they're not allowed to have any kind of commercial restaurants. Ken's gonna laugh at me for the rest of the day, and that's okay. I can't even believe you said it's lunchtime, Ken. I'm hungry. <laughs> I'm starving. I hear you. So, so, okay. So, so you end up and I'm not trying to date you, but how, at what age were you when you ended up leaving New York and going to, um, Naples where they have Subway and Chick-fil-A? <laughs> I'm going to go down in history for that one. I know it. Uh, I was 38, 39. Okay. So. Bloopers. I just, I've never. I can't believe I just said that either, but that's okay. Uh, um, Okay, so. The blonde hair is natural. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you're way more educated than I am. So, 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 okay. You, you, you end up in, you know, I've never even been to Naples. That's crazy. Um, I know I've heard, but so you're in, now you're in Naples. You spent your first 17 ish years in, um, in New York doing your thing, building multi-million dollar companies and all the fun stuff. Um, and now you're in Naples and you know everybody probably at this point. I'm kidding. You didn't know anybody, right? Exactly. What in the world did you do? Like, 
when I tell you, it was, now, let me, I was getting paid because I sold my company, but I don't want to sit around the house. So zero jobs. I was, I think in certain instances, they were like, no way New York, because there are marketing companies down in Florida, obviously. But I think, you know, I, I had to dumb down my resume a little bit. You can't, it, it was a little intimidating to be the owner of a big agency in New York. So with that being said, I went to bartending. I had done it in college and I grabbed a job bartending because bartending. I just wanted to be doing something. Yeah. So you went from a multi-million dollar ad agency in New York to a bartender in Florida. Yes. And you're still getting paid from the company that you sold in New York. So you yeah. didn't have to bartend. No, but I was, I, you know, like you said, I didn't know anybody in Florida except my husband. So right. <laughs> I'm just going to do a little something, some make a little kind of networking situation happen. It was at a country club too. So it wasn't uh, like a, you know, wild saloon or anything like that but that didn't last very long anyway it didn't no yeah three in the morning serving up drinks at weddings had to get out (laughs) you're like this is not for me exactly so how long did that last bartending um i did it for about a year okay and then um where'd you go from there I, you're not the, I know you well enough to know you're not the kind of person that's just going to go, well, I'm going to stay home and eat some bonbons and or watch Subway. reruns of, or Subway or Chick-fil-A. Exactly. Um, <laughs> um, what did you do? Where, what, like you left bartending um look my wife my wife is on here that is like everyone's dream move to a tropical place and be a bartender on the beach right jill it is it didn't look that way though (laughs) it was a country club there was an ugly uniform anyway so i saw the uh job advertised for a moving company and it was for a marketing person work at home you know the owner was up in somewhere in Michigan. So it was a nice little gig and it was base plus commission. Nobody looking over my shoulder felt very much like doing my own thing, except someone else was responsible for the paycheck. So did that for a bunch of years, got promoted to GM, which was not a promotion. Let me tell you, (laughs) you know, then then I went and then it was 7am to 7pm nonstop insanity. You know that moving is one of the most stressful things. So if you're dealing with only people who are moving, <laughs> they're all stressed. What, what's up? I said oh, they're, all, they're all stressed and their all stressed. stress gets put on you. I, I worked for a moving company as a mover for one day. <laughs> one day. I said, no, no, never again. No. So, you know, too, that the, the revolving door of guys working for you, because yeah. that was, you know, but what yeah, I got out of that was when they put me in the spot as GM, the culture there was horrendous, just absolutely horrendous. And I was kind of tasked with turning it around because if the culture is horrible, the, the revolving door is going to go quicker. So I actually look at that job as a real blessing because of the bond I had with the guys that worked for me, I had up to 30 at one point. And, you know, when you make people feel seen and appreciated, it's amazing what they'll do for, for you and, you know, in support of each other. So I, I really turned that culture around. And at one point went to a, it was a nationwide moving company. So we had a yearly annual meeting, whatever. And we're sitting around a round table and, Everyone's saying what their biggest problem is at all these franchisees. And it's can't keep the guys, can't hire good guys, can't find good guys, can't, the whole thing. And they got to me and I was like, uh, I don't have that problem. And the whole table, you know, what, what are you doing that you're keeping guys? Mm. I'm treating guys like human beings. I'm treating them like people that should be seen and appreciated. I'm going out on moves and bringing them Gatorade and should I say it, Ken? Subway. Um, no, I, 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 
but but that's what I mean. I, I I was I was blessed to be able to take care of these guys to the point where they knew that I really cared about their well being and their welfare, and they were total rock stars for me. Just some of the best in the business. Wow. Okay, so we're getting into something important, I, and and I kind of have a, I'm curious because you're, you are in. This is just my opinion, but you seem like somebody that is a relationship builder like you you form relationships friendships with people and and i think about it because i'm the same way and i think about some of the people that i've had to leave behind when i left a place or i sold you know like how did it feel because i know eventually you left that you said you were only there for a year how did it feel leaving those people behind that you'd built these relationships with um, I was there, I was in the GM spot for about two years, but I didn't leave. Them. Oh. They're still my friends there. I mean, uh, that's awesome. That's, that's how I am. Like one of the movers that was the best mover I've ever known. And by the way, just, can I shout him out Deshaun strong? We call each other BFF. This guy left and started his own moving company and has seen like tremendous success. So that's just so awesome. That kind of mentorship. You can't put a price on that. I, I absolutely love doing that kind of stuff. That's so awesome. So you were there for th three years then about. With the marketing and everything else. Uh, so the marketing, I did three years. The, the GM position I was doing for two years. Oh, yeah. Why, where did I get a year? I thought you said a year. I'm sorry. So, so you were there for, for a while. Um, and what happened? And this is all in Naples now. Yes. Okay. Where did you go from there? What happened from there? Uh, franchise changed ownership and adios. I went back to doing marketing. And, um, you know, at that point, I had built a rather large network in Naples. And yeah. so I went back to doing marketing and, you know, making brochures for people. It wasn't a ton of money, but it kept me busy. Yeah. Brochures, the trifolds. For the fire department, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're one of my best customers. Really? That's yeah. awesome. Um, okay. So, okay. Keep going. Where'd you go from there? Okay. <laughs> you, you, start, you started, you started marketing again. Um, it's incredible to hear this because like, and I, I want to ask you, or, or I guess make a point to everybody listening. So as you continued along, you're building these relationships and friendships, but you know, you go back, you're like, okay, I'm going back to freelance marketing. People didn't just like show up at your door and go, Hey, um, we need a freelance marketer to help us. You had to go find that business, right? I did. So how important was having the ability to sell? and prospect how how important was all that for you it was everything i was going nowhere fast if i didn't you know when i was in new york doing the freelancing someone was sending the jobs to me this was on me so i went after all those relationships that i'd built when i was marketing for the moving company and said hey if you need anybody to do this or that or whatever so it was it was all sales and all me yeah yeah um so did you stay freelancing and that's what you're still doing or did anything else happen? <laughs> of course there's more. I know. I want to hear it. I want to hear where, cause I know that, you know, you got involved in network marketing and some other things. I want to hear about all of that. How did, how did you get out of freelance marketing and into where you've been now for a little bit? All right. That's a funny story. I also saw a job posting one fine day. Because I do, I mean, in as much as I love that freelance kind of thing, yeah, I do like stability too. I'm, I'm pretty normal right. like that. But I saw a job for uh, a communications person for a nonprofit that was out of D.C. Here we go with the pattern again, though. The company was up in D.C., which is where the people were that I was working for. And they were connected with Ave Maria Law School in Naples. So they handed me keys and I had my own office and nobody around to bother me. And I just did the communication. Wow. So I was pretty, pretty happy there for a while. And I don't know, one day 
the lady kind of ticked me off and I opened the computer and I see member success manager for Ray Higdon. And I, I, I think I had heard his name just from being around town. I'm not kidding. I didn't really know who he was. And I'm like, I'm looking at, I'm reading the job description. I'm like, I can do this. And that's how I came into Ray's universe, wow. interviewed for the job, was never in network marketing. Um, I did have a father-in-law that dabbled in it, but that was all I knew about it. So if you were to ask me at that time, I would have been like, that's a pyramid scheme. It's not, obviously. But um, funny, when I, when I first interviewed with Ray, he encouraged me to start a network marketing company. And I was like, eh, that's not for me. But I loved the coaching aspect of, you know, the, the position with him. So it took me a couple of years. But then I was like, wait a minute. I'd be crazy not to do this. It's another stream of income. My face is all over Facebook anyway. Why wouldn't I start a, a side hustle? So right. it fit right into that little kid with the lemonade stand mentality that I have. Wow. Uh, you know, I know Ray. He is an amazing human being. Um, incredibly smart. Him and, well, Jess might be a little smarter. <laughs> <laughs> If Ray's, I'm kidding, Ray. He'd be, he would agree with me though, probably. Um, ha, like that's an intense environment though. Ha, I would imagine because they're just movers and shakers making things happen. And um, how, how, how did you like go from freelancing, um, making your own rules kind of to, to, you know, now you're, um, working under somebody else's rules. How did that go for you? The job is such, well, first of all, Ray puts a team together like you would not believe. So right. when I first joined, I, it, it's all top notch. You know, it kind yeah. of reminded me of how I ran my ad agency because we took the best of the best and that's what Ray's got on his team. So yeah, I kind of felt like I came home and then just as the job evolved and as I got, more into you know the group that he has which is rank makers which is over ten thousand people strong uh, paid subscription group as i got in there and got my feet wet and started coaching and you know this is where the things come full circle the psychology came back because mm. when, I, when i didn't finish that degree it was because i was making a lot of money and i was like ah, i don't want to listen to people's problems all day that was my right. 20 early 20 year old self um coming in here and being able to coach and see people have breakthroughs and cheering people on. I mean, that's like a dream job. Absolutely. So it doesn't feel like work, even though it is. <laughs> so it's interesting because I, um, I mean, we all see, you see it a lot. The, um, the success barriers, the the excuses, the things that people make up in their own head to prevent them from taking the action, to overcome the fears, to all of that. Um, what are some of the most common things you see that are holding people back from, um, you know, having real success in life? It's just what you said. It's 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 all mindset. It's right beliefs that we've taken from childhood into adulthood that we don't even realize we've taken. And it, that's where the barriers come from. That's where the worthiness issues come from. And that's why I love so much what I do because mindset is the key to unlock success. It really is. And it's something you have to always work on as you know. Yeah. Yeah. How, okay. So I had Brian Tracy on the show. Who's one of my heroes. Like he changed my life 30 years ago. And, and I asked Brian, I said, you know what? <clears throat> I said, Brian, there's people that'll hear all of your, cause he was spitting just fire the whole time. And, and I, and, and I'm like, people are going to hear this. They're going to know that you're right, that you need to write it down, write it down, write it down. And you know, all of the stuff he said, and, and I, but but they're they're not going to do it. Uh, only a tiny percentage are actually going to do it. Like, how do you get the people that they know they need to take the action? They know they need to read the book. They know they need to get the coach. 
They know they need to do these things. How do you get people to, to change? And he said, you can't change people. And I'm like, damn it. That's not what I want to hear. How do you change people? <laughs> like, what do you, and, and I, and that's, so my question for you, Mary Kate is how do you get people to take action when they're paralyzed in the fear of taking that action? One word answer is coaching. You got to get a good coach. And I'm going to, if, if, You'll indulge me for one second. I want to. I, I will. Go. I'm going to give you full screen to indulge you too. Uh-oh, look out. <laughs> now I forgot what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> I grew up, I would say, very privileged. And I don't mean privileged money-wise. I mean privileged by two amazing parents who constantly poured into us, constantly um, encouraged us and helped us and patted us on the back and, and supported us. And real quick story. I want to, I want to illustrate where this started. When right. we were kids, my dad would take us to this little strip mall. There was a pizza place, a deli, a candy store. And every time, ever since I was at least 10 years old, he would park directly in front of the big window, send our 10 year old self in there, my, my 10 year old self with the directive. If any big people try to cut in front of you in your loudest voice, you yell, I was next to the person behind the counter. And it's such a simple thing, but my gosh, what an empowering thing to do for a kid because wow, it was nonstop. Every time he went to the store, I jumped in the car and he told me the same thing. And I would come running out with pizza or whatever, be like, dad, see that guy over there? He tried to cut in front of me and I stopped him. My, my point for sharing this is that my parents empowered us as children to stand up for ourselves. Mm. And I went through life. They also did it in high school and college. If you ever disagree with a teacher, you tell that, tell, or, you know, disagree with the teacher, disagree with the teacher. That's fine. Tell us about it and we'll back you up. Wow. Kids don't get that. And I didn't, I thought, honestly, I went through life thinking that that's how parents treated kids. Well, I got to a harsh reality when I got into coaching because I started realizing that they are very ill-equipped a lot of children because of their circumstances and it all kind of came full circle when one day I was, I had just, I had coached all day. I had heard horror stories all day and I mean, really heartbreaking stuff. And I called my mom who was brilliant. And I, I said, I don't understand why they're, they're not thinking they're worthy. I don't understand that. I really truly didn't. And she said, Mary Kate, if a child is told they're not worth anything, they believe it. And it was like, so all that being said, I believe that since I was blessed to have the parents and the upbringing that I had, that I have an obligation to unlock this unworthiness that people have. Because like I said, once you unlock that, then the possibilities are endless. So I do yeah. see what I do as, as an absolute obligation in thanksgiving to God for the blessing of my parents. That is so amazing. My wife said we do the same and we do um, ours. My, my daughter, when she was eight years old said, I want to do a lemonade stand. We lived on a cul-de-sac. <clears throat> like there's no traffic. Why would you do it? And she was going to do it in the driveway. I said, go, we had a big privacy fence and a gate and a very busy intersection out there behind the privacy fence. I said, you need to set up out there at the intersection where cars stop. They have to. And, and so she goes out there. I said, make a sign and do gymnastics and do all kinds of stuff. And if you see any police officers, give them a free lemonade. And, and I'll never forget this. She went out there and she did it and she made $200 in two hours. <laughs> she, cause people are just giving her $20 because they loved her, you know, and didn't even want the lemonade. So but it was a very valuable thing that she learned. And, and she says, and now she's 12 and oh, she stands up to us like crazy, but you're right. I, I never even really thought much about that, but how, how do, how do you help people have that as a coach? How do you help people have that breakthrough of you're just living in the fear of, or the story that you believe somebody called you worthless as a kid and, and you still are living that. How do you help them break through with that? Well, I like to start by explaining how strong the tie is. 
And I typically, there's a story of, um, I'll go into, I don't want to take too much time, but uh, my grandfather went into the hospital, had an operation. We visited him. He was fine. We went to the beach. Next thing he's died, he's dead. So five years old, earliest memory was Papa went to the hospital. Now Papa's dead. What that did to me was in, it linked death with hospitals. And I took that wow. through my entire life. Wow. I was always afraid of hospitals. I do that. And, and it's not that I wouldn't go into hospitals, but I would do the church laughing where it's inappropriate. <laughs> and I wanted to get out of there as quickly as possible. But what I want everybody to understand is that's how tightly linked that is. That's how we don't realize until I went into coaching, I didn't realize that that link was from when I was five years old. Wow. And so when people, um, you know, I'll, I'll get on a coaching call and I'll start asking questions about the childhood. Cause for me, I think that's always where it goes back to. And they'll start telling stories and I just listen and then I link it for them. You know, and I, I don't say this is what it, you know, I say, does this resonate with you? If you were, I don't know. I mean, I could go into 80 different scenarios, which I won't, but sure. I just listen. I listen to how, how their parents were, what their upbringing was like. And then just, I think it's part of the psychology training. It's really easy for me to pick out where the hitch is. And then we talk it through from there. And when the light bulbs go off and when people stop blaming themselves and realize that it's something they carried through into adulthood and their business and everything else, that's when, you know, when those light bulbs start going off, that's when people start having real breakthroughs that change their life. I absolutely love that. I've kind of asked this, but I, I always ask a couple of questions near the end. Um, I can't even believe we've already been on here 46 minutes. Um, with, and you've sort of answered this. I, I just want to, so the number one answer to the question I'm getting ready to ask you is fear. And I want you to do better <laughs> than fear. Um, so it is what stops people from these two things. And I think they're related. Number one, real financial success, like real financial success, and then joy, freedom, happiness. And I do think that they're related because I've, I've, I've been broken homeless and I've been wealthy and wealthy is better. So I, and I do think they're related. I think that happiness and freedom in life is tied to um, finances. I, I really do. I, I'm not saying it's everything, but I think that it's, you know, it's a whole lot easier um, being wealthy and miserable than broken miserable. <laughs> I mean, right. So Absolutely. what, what stops people from having it all? What is it? I honestly would say worthiness. You know, okay. if you don't think that you're worthy of success, you're going to have a lot of trouble getting there. That's you want it. more? That's the simple answer. I mean, it is. What stops people? That's, I mean, I. I you want a bigger answer? Believing your well, I mean, what stops people honestly is whatever they're carrying from their childhood. If it was negative, and what I've come to find as a coach is that a lot of it is negative. If you're not as good as your brother, that'll ding you. You'll take that through life. I wish you were never yeah. born. That'll get you good. You know what I mean? So even even and people you know, hear that. People hear that. Oh, you've no. Oh, you knew. You know, Ken. You've heard our stories too. It's heartbreaking, a lot of the stuff. People being put up for adoption. You would think that that wouldn't ding you, but it will. Because there's a, a rejection there. And it's easy to draw a conclusion that, and, it, and it's never, it's not never, but a lot of times it's just not even based on the truth. So, but as a kid, you're put up for adoption. Well, why weren't my good parents, or why weren't my adopt biological parents willing to keep me? I've coached people who are orphans, giant mindset, because that's all abandonment and it's, and it's tremendous pain. And it's, you know, if you go through life comparing yourself to others, well, why did they have two parents? I only had one. Why did my right. mom struggle and theirs doesn't, you know, so it's a lot of comparison, but it's, it's a lot of 
just damage we take from wrong conclusions drawn as children. You know, I, my wife and I started our marketing agency back in, um, a long, uh, it's been a while now. And I, it was right after she and I met and, and started working together. And I had already had the company for a couple of years doing website design and all of that. But then, then, you know, she was this marketing guru and I'm like, okay, let's combine forces. And we opened an office and I had a handful of employees and I, I'll never forget. This is the worst day of my life. So this big dude that worked for me comes walking in my office. He's like, hey, man, there's a dude out in the parking lot looking in the windows of your SUV. And I'm on the phone. I'm like, why are you telling me that? Go kick his ass, man. Tell him to get out. Well, what do you? He's like, he's got it blocked with his tow truck. And I'm like, his tow. Oh, no, 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 no. And everybody was getting paid except for us, right? And so the bank likes it when you make your car payments or they'll come and take your car, I found out. In front of all of my employees, I watched my car get towed away. And I'll never forget that moment because I thought, what's the point of even being alive anymore? I was so humiliated. I felt like I was at the lowest point of my entire life and I didn't want to be here anymore. And and for the people who, and I know you've 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 dealt with people that are like on the edge of ending everything. If somebody called you and said, I just can't do it anymore. I've tried everything in my business. I've tried everything in my life. It's not working. I don't know what else to do. What would you say to them to help get them? Because you know, and I know that it's temporary. It's going to change. It'll get better. Um, but what do you say to them? What What would you say to that person that called you right now, feeling like they've lost all hope? Well, if if they're really if there's a suicidal ideology there, they're going right to a professional. Obviously, you, right. are you talking about that kind of losing hope? Because I have spoken to people well, that were in that spot. Or are you talking yeah. about this business isn't working for me? Kind of losing hope. Just desperate. Not not necessarily suicidal, but you know, just at the end of their rope, like they don't know where else to go. Honestly, that's just usually a conversation because people yeah. feel much better after they talk through. And I just ask questions and listen a lot. You yeah. know, I, that's really the magic there. There's nothing more yeah. to it. If they're prayerful people, then uh, I'm going to tell them to give it to God. If they're not yeah. prayerful, then I'm going to just talk them through it. But you know, that's one of the most powerful things in what I do is I love when I get someone that believes because I could say, take your anxiety, give it to God and ask him to turn it into something for his greater honor and glory. Amen. Because wow. giving it to God is one thing, but asking him to turn it into something for his glory, that's a game changer. So that's, that's I where that. I go there. I absolutely love that. <clears throat> and Eric Flanoy is on here who happens to be in the ministry. <laughs> he's a, he's a pastor. So, so, um, wow. He's, he's saying preach, preach, preach. <laughs> so listen, Mary Kate, you are one of my favorite people. I love, if you guys are not following her on social media, you need to stop that right now and start following her. Um, your your content is so good. It's really creative. It's funny, mostly funny and very creative. Like it's just awesome. Um, is there anything else coming that that's coming soon, coming up for you in the near future that you'd like to, or distant future? Very near My future. My wife wants you to say that again. Say what again? Um, the little oh. Yeah, uh, take, take your whatever you're struggling with take your fear and give it to god and ask him to turn it into something for his greater honor and glory oh that's beautiful you're gonna see that on uh, i'm gonna cut that out and 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 make a tiktok out of that <laughs> fair enough that, that's that was that's the more, beautiful the more people that know that the better yes 
Look, she's, she says, um, it's one thing to give it to God, but asking him to take it and turn it into something for his glory is a game changer. Thank you, Jill. It's amazing. It's amazing. So um, anything else you'd like to share with the audience? If, yes, we are launching what's called the Intentional Living Room. And it is at intentionallivingroom.com. What it is, is... Intentionallivingroom.com? Yes, correct. Okay. Okay. And it's a subscription group, very nominal fee. But what it is, is myself and my two amazing partners, Anu Fergoda and Rebecca Woods. And it's us pouring into people. Because one of the big things, and we've been working on it for months, and it's just launched uh, because Ken nudged me to be on here quicker than the website was ready, which is no problem. But <laughs> what it is, it's just con it's content. It's us pouring into people showing them how to live a more intentional life. And it's because we're all coaches, it's that we saw a hole in the marketplace. In the past few years, we've really gone, gotten pretty disconnected. And there's yep. been spikes in mental health problems and spikes in you know, people feeling helpless and not knowing what's going on in the world. So we wanted to create a community for men and women where you come in and you get poured into. And it's just such a joy. And you know, I don't know if you're a fan of Jordan Peterson, Ken. I would imagine you are. But Jordan Peterson, yeah, he said something like that I absolutely loved. And he said it, it's he was being interviewed and someone was goading him and trying to you know, you're angry. He's like, I'm not angry. I'm hurt. And it hurts me that it takes so little to pull someone out of their personal hell. Just a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of direction, a little bit of feeling community and camaraderie. And so that's what this is all about. So the website will be launched very soon. And um, there's a landing page there now, though, if you want to get more information. And thank you for asking about that, Ken. It's a passion project of ours, and we are very excited about it. I love it. Intentionallivingroom.com. I absolutely love that. I just, I, I, I now have this, this vision, this feeling of just, hanging out in a living room talking to Mary Kate about my problems. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a therapy session, Ken. Oh, um, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> those, I I'm charge kidding. you more for that. But right. Right. I love that though. I love, but it's, it's, it's a community coaching um, group thing, yes. right? Yep. It's amazing. Just talking about life and supporting each other. And, you know, we have uh, myself and my three partners run the gamut of age groups and experience. So, you know, to bring all that together, because we all three have different perspectives. So we go live in the group every week and um, just chat. At one point they were like, we're kind of like the view, but totally opposite. I was like, don't even, <laughs> please don't. <laughs> total opposite in that we're, we're very positive and we want, we want this to be something that kind of changes the world exponentially. Because when you pour into a little group that's in, in our intentional living room, they're taking that out into the world and sharing it with someone else who needs, you know, a little encouragement. That's so awesome. All right. Intentionallivingroom.com. Now you guys have something else to go. And Eric already said that he's definitely going to stop the not following Mary Kate thing. He's following you today. So um, here he says, yes, it ends. I will be following her. So um, <laughs> Thank you. you're incredible. Your story is incredible. Your energy. Wait till you guys see some of her posts on social media. They're so hilarious. Like, some of the stuff you put out is just so funny. Um, but thank you. Listen, I, I appreciate you um, taking the time and coming on and, and sharing your wisdom and your beautiful energy that you're always putting out to the world. I love it. So thank you so much. I appreciate uh, you. Thank you, my friend. It's great to be here. Yeah. So everybody, I'm going to end the live stream. Make sure you go follow Mary Kate O'Connell everywhere on social media. Go to intentionallivingroom.com 
and sign up for everything she's selling um, or charging, get in there. I mean, you just got to go do it. It's not even a, like, I'm sure it's probably free really in, in the big, big game or big plan. So um, thank you so much. I appreciate you. We'll see you guys later. Have a great day. Thank you, Mary Kate. Thanks, Ken.